So this class is about theology and about doctrines, and I'm especially, especially at the front end, picking some that are uh, a little sticky in the sense of uh, problem areas. And I think my least favorite word, in fact, I know it is, is the word legalism. The reason is because people will throw it at me all the time. Uh, when I make an emphasis on writing goals, when I make an emphasis on read your Bible every day, when I make an emphasis on uh, making a commitment to spend time with God in prayer every day, <clears throat> when I make an emphasis about you ought to bear fruit, you ought to start a ministry, you ought to do something, don't be a wart, I get this thrown back at me. Uh, legal, that's legalism, that's legalism. And I think, you know, do you even know what the word means? And uh, then the other one that's uh, is a great word, but I, it's, it's so misused today, is the word grace. Uh, it's become an excuse for mediocrity. It's been become an excuse for lukewarmness. It's been an, become an excuse for basically doing nothing with your life. Well, I'm saved by grace, so I don't have to do any works. Well, that's cool for getting saved, but now we're not talking about getting saved. We're talking about living uh, in a way that glorifies God. And so it's important that we do something with our life. And so I thought we would look at the word grace. It's a big word used a lot in the Bible, and many people have no clue what it actually means. And uh, so we'll go through that. We'll look at the term works, works of the law, and some of those things that uh, grace and works is just a uh, water and oil kind of thing with a lot of people. They can't figure out how to make those two work uh, together, and they work very well together. So in your notes, number one, grace has often been defined as the unmerited favor. That's the old traditional definition of the word. And it's not a really good definition because it only covers about two verses in the entire Bible where the word grace is used. Uh, A better definition is the enabling power of God. The enabling power, that is, his power that enables us to do his will. Uh, Even in the area of we're saved by grace, we talk about Here's person A, person B. Both are lost. Both hear the gospel. Uh, This guy becomes a believer, trusts Christ, follows Jesus, loves Jesus. This one doesn't. And uh, so why? So God's grace is something he does in response. When we say unmerited, that's not true. Grace always follows certain actions, certain behavior, certain things that we do. And so when we talk about God's grace, we're saved by grace, what was it that prompted the grace to come into a person's life? Well, there's numerous verses, but a key one, and we'll look at it in detail. God is opposed to the proud, gives grace, gives grace, gives grace to the humble. Did you know the first step in becoming a believer in Jesus is saying, I can't do it. I can't save myself. I can't be good enough to make it. So there's an act of humility. God gives grace to the humble. What exactly does he give? He gives us inner power, enabling, often termed the will. It's God who is at work in us, both the will and to work for his good pleasure. And so that a step is made on the basis of grace that is given, God gives grace to the humble. So there's always a condition attached with grace. It's not unmerited. There's something that we do in order to be given grace, and that applies to our saving grace, living grace, serving grace, different aspects of grace in our life. Uh, There's a a sort of a condition attached. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There's a command, imperative. Do this. Okay, you read that. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So 
If I say to you, turn right, right, yeah, okay, you know what to do. If you read the verse, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, ah, what do I do? What's the command mean? Be strong, but in the grace of Christ Jesus, how do you choose to do that? So if we say grace is God's enabling power, God gives grace, uh, and the command is be strong in the grace, by the grace that he gives you, how are you going to pull that one off? Are you going to say, yep, I did it. I don't know if I did it or not. Um, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. Grace to help in time of need. What's the throne of grace? What does that mean? And if we would look at the context there, it simply means you come to God in prayer and you say, Help! Come to the throne of grace with confidence. That means He will indeed answer us when we. The most often prayer, prayed prayer in the Bible, if you look at every prayer in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the prayer that is prayed more than any other prayer is the prayer that is prayed for strength. Lord, I can't do it. Help me, help me, help me. God loves to give strength to those who come to Him and say, Apart from you, I can do nothing. And so come with confidence to the throne of grace, the throne of grace. You come into the. Uh, and say, Lord, I need your strength, and you will receive mercy and may find grace to help, to help in time of need, whatever that is for you. Whatever issue you're facing, you simply say, I can't do this on my own by myself. Grant me your grace. God's grace is God's power, God's enabling power. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teaching, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Strengthened by grace. You know, uh, I don't eat organic food. You know why? Man, it's too expensive. Or you eat a lot of organic food. You kill a lot of wild game. Yeah, I do. I, 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 I don't kill near as much as I'd like to kill, but, uh, and fish. Yeah, yeah, I guess I do eat some of that kind of stuff. But, you know, the, the organic thing that people are sort of, uh, is Matt Borgen here? Matt grows organic vegetables. I didn't want to offend him, but I'm glad he's not here. Anyway, it's, it's expensive stuff. That organic stuff is. And so my, my brother-in-law, he raises organic milk. He has a bunch of jerseys, and it's all organic. And you go to buy some of that milk, it's like, whoa, it's expensive stuff. So I just, drink, I just eat and drink all the stuff that's bad for you. Uh, but do you know they had the big deal back there, back in the New Testament? Don't be carried away by varied and strange teachings. All this stuff about eat this, eat that, do that. Uh, It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Um, What shall I point this at to make it work? There we go. Not by foods. Strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. Strengthened by grace. So how do you do that? Grace is power. Grace is strength. Grace is will. Grace is resolve. It's what you need on the inside to live the kind of life that you want to live. So it's good that your heart is strengthened, your heart, the inner person, by grace. And don't worry about the food. If you want to eat it, you can. Okay, um, there we go. 
Because of the surpassing, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, did you know that Paul got to go to heaven? He got to go to heaven, have a tour, and come back again. And sometimes I pray, I say, Lord, you know it's not fair. If I could go to heaven and look around and come back, I would be so motivated. Man, just five seconds. I'm not talking about an hour or anything like that. Just, just want to come back. Just, oh, well, so far it hasn't happened. I think I'm running out of time. But Paul got to do that. And he said because of that, uh, you know, if that were the case, I'd come back and say, nah, 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 nah. I got to go to heaven. You didn't, you poor guys. Uh, man, if you'd live your life a little better, maybe you'd get to go to heaven with me next time, huh? And so Paul says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, that is, you know, being a big shot because I got to heaven, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. Nobody knows exactly what that is, uh, whether it was the disease. Some thought maybe it was a bad wife. I, nobody really knows for sure. A thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. And so that's the price he had to pay for going to heaven. He got this thorn in the flesh just so that he didn't get a big head about it. <clears throat> Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times. <clears throat> I mean, it's tormenting him, and he'd like to get rid of it. So three times he asked for God to get rid of it. And he said to me, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you. Power is perfected in weakness. So that means weakness, I can't do it. I can't do it. So power is perfected in weakness. Power is perfected because you go to him asking for his power and his strength. Uh, for what reason? To do something with your life that matters. To do something with your life that matters. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, that is, whatever it was that was bugging him, the torment, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Power. So grace is power, grace is strength. Therefore, uh, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When I recognize I don't have what it takes, then I go to the throne room of grace with confidence, asking for help in time of need, and I receive it. Luke chapter 2, this is speaking of Jesus. The child continued to grow, become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Grace of God was upon him. The result was he grew strong and he had wisdom. Whoops, I went to push that twice there. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Abundant grace was upon them all. Now, they're believers. They're preaching. But with great power, they were preaching and teaching because abundant grace was upon them all. <clears throat> and Stephen, full of grace, full of grace and power was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Number two in your notes. So today, you talk to the average Christian, say, what's grace? What's grace? What's grace? This kind of comes out. Uh, freedom to do what I want. Saved by grace, not by works. Therefore, works are no big deal. And so it's the freedom to do what I want. This is the verse that often gets quoted to me. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. You know what some of those who like that verse would say? Goals, those are, like, that's slavery. 
You don't want to do goals? Stay free. Do what you want. Uh, be led by the Spirit, whatever that means. But don't write any goal down. That's getting back in the yoke of slavery. They would see any focus on rules, disciplines, principles as legalism, the opposite of grace. So I get so much flack on this one about uh, my teaching on setting goals, practicing the basic disciplines. I say, you know, read your Bible every day, every day, every day, every day. Don't go to bed without reading your Bible. Don't do it. Never. Read your Bible every day. Legalism, legalism. Ah, drives me crazy. Grace is not the freedom to do what we want, but the power, the power to do what God wants. He gives strength. He gives grace. And he gives it to us so we can do something with our life that matters. So we're to love him. We're to serve him. We're to obey him. We're to follow him. We're to glorify him. And we can do that with the grace that he gives us. God's grace is given to us because of something we do or believe it is not totally unmerited. So if we were to go through and look up, I've given you a lot of references on grace. But if I say, okay, God's grace is his power to live successfully the Christian life. How do you get it? How do you get it? You, right now. Number one method of grace is prayer. You ask for it. Come boldly with confidence to the throne room of grace that you may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. So humility is the number one character trait. God is opposed to the proud, gives grace to the humble. Humble person says, I can't do it without God's help. And so you regularly go and you pray, ask God for strength. And so I ask people this question. So once a year on your birthday, you pray, Lord, would you grant me strength for the rest of this year so I can serve you well? Is that going to work with God? Well, probably should pray more than once a year, huh? Yep, I think so. Sometimes when people fuss at me about this little motto, much prayer, much blessing, little prayer, little blessing, no prayer, no blessing, they say, that sounds sort of conditional. Well, it is conditional. It's an if statement. If this, then that. If you ask, you receive. You have not because you ask not. And so when they fuss at me about the much prayer thing, I say, once a year, is that enough? Well, no. So you agree with me. We just kind of debate a little bit on the volume amount. 24 hours a day, you need to pray that much? Well, no, nobody can do that. Okay, I agree with you on that one. So somewhere between 24 hours a day and once a year. Arrive at a point which indicates that you are a humble person. You recognize, I can't live the Christian life with any degree of success without God's grace, without his power or strength working in me so that I can gain victory over sin, so I can bear fruit, so I can please him and all that I do. It begins with our salvation. We come and say, Lord, I can't earn my way to heaven and then it, it progresses through our entire life. We continually come to the throne room of grace with confidence, asking for help in time of need because we know we need it. He gives a greater grace. He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, gives grace, gives grace, gives grace. What's he giving? What is it you get when he gives you grace? Uh, unmerited favor? Uh, it's power. His power, his strength uh, to live successfully. 
There are different aspects of God's grace taught in the Bible for our life. Uh, This is terms that uh, theologians, pastors over the years have come up with, these various terms uh, that are used. Saving grace, that's grace that you receive before you're a Christian, or by grace you're saved through faith. Um, So grace is not meaning that you get, you don't have to do anything. It simply means I admit I can't save me. I can't be good enough to get to heaven. He gives grace. That's this inner will uh, to follow him, to serve him. Recognizing the grace that had been given to me. Did I give you all the last one? Did you get all the blanks filled in? Saving faith, serving faith, living faith. You got all, okay. So we're going to launch in on the serving one. Uh, So Paul says here, recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So Paul says, they recognized the grace that had been given to me. What was it they recognized? What was it that Paul had been given? What was this grace? He says it right there. I've been given a ministry to the Gentiles. And Paul called that grace, a gift from God to do something with his life that mattered. See, the principle is you don't do anything that matters unless God gives it to you, unless God opens the door, unless God gives you the resources. And that whole package what you might call Paul's package of being the apostle to the Gentiles, was grace. It was a gift God gave him. Okay, you are the official apostle to the Gentiles. And so they said they recognized that God had given me this grace and so extended me to the right hand of fellowship, meaning, okay, you're one of us. You're one of the apostles. Go do your thing. Ephesians 3, 1 through 9. For this reason, I, Paul... Now, he's kind of a formal statement here. He's... Uh, He's making a declaration about his life. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, God's grace which was given to me. What was given to him? The stewardship. I mean, it was a package deal that he had. I'm going to be a steward of this grace given to me. That by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief, Mystery is previously unrevealed truth. If you read the books of Romans through Jude that Paul wrote, there's much in there that had never been revealed to anybody ever before God gave it to Paul. And he wrote it in the letters to the churches. What was that he gave him? Grace. The information that he was given, the power that he was given, the open doors that he was given, the wisdom that he was given, all of that to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to start the churches, to write the bulk of the New Testament was grace. Uh, It was opportunity, it was open door, it was wisdom, it was strength. Uh, It was called serving grace. By referring to this, when you read read the book of Romans, 1 Corinthians, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ because God had given him this grace, which in other generations was not made known. Nobody had heard about it until I came along. God gave me this grace, this mystery, this insight to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, 
Okay, here's the grace that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. Up to this point, um, the Jewish people thought the only people getting saved is us Jews. Messiah came to the Jews. So Paul comes along and says, no, 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 no. Big battle in the early church. He says, the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul received this revelation, went about starting churches with the Gentile world and said, this is the grace of God that was given to me, this revelation, this new information, the letters that I'm writing, the churches that I'm starting, it's all this sort of package that was given to him, grace, the power to do this, of which I was made a minister. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of his power. So up to this point, those verses that I've read so far, does that sound like a do-nothing kind of a word, grace? Now, grace is a do-a-lot kind of word. Paul said, I've been given grace. That is, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. I'm going to plant churches, and I'm going to write New Testament, and I'm going to preach, and I'm going to teach, and I'm going to get stoned and left for dead, and I'm going to get shipwrecked, and I'm going to eventually get my head cut off. Part of the grace of God. Uh, it's something that we do. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given. This grace was given. What was given to him? The privilege, the opportunity to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. So I'm standing here teaching you. Why? Because God gave me grace. He gave me grace, the privilege of being able to preach and to teach here at this church and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which, was, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Paul was the first one to write most of the information that was in the epistles that he wrote. But to each one of us, grace was given. That's me. But to each one of us, every one of us, grace was given to the measure of Christ's gift. So the word that's translated grace is the Greek word charis, and when you read in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, the topic in all those chapters is spiritual gifts. The ability to do something in a supernatural way. The word gift comes from the Greek word charis, same word that's translated grace. Spiritual gifts is charis, grace. So I have a gift and ability given to me by God. Didn't earn it, didn't deserve it. He sovereignly gave it to me. So why did he give it to me? To do nothing? No, to use it, to develop it. And uh, so we can just call it the gift of teaching. Maybe we can try to describe it a different way. You have gifts. Most people haven't discovered what their gift is. The reason they haven't is because they don't do anything. Uh, you've got to move, you've got to try, you've got to experiment, and pretty soon, wow, wow, look at this. This works like great. This is amazing. See, in the area of your giftedness, you are as good as Jesus. When you develop that gift, it's a small area. My wife has a gift of mercy. If you go in the hospital and I come visit you, you're going to die. Don't visit. My wife comes and visits you, you're going to feel like you've been touched by an angel. She is amazing. It's a supernatural ability she has, that gift from God. And so we all have these various abilities and gifts that we can do that are supernatural. It's given to you a gift a privilege, an area of ministry. And so grace is not do nothing. Grace is do a whole bunch. Grace is develop and use what God has given you for the sake of the church, the body of Christ. 
Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, Jesus, he led captive a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Uh, whoops. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, a list of some of the gifts. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. What is the body of Christ? Church. We are the body of Christ, Jefferson Baptist Church. And some of you are hands, some of you are eyeballs, some of your noses, some of your ears. We're all part of the body. Without us functioning, the body is less than healthy. And if you're not connected, then you're going to be less than healthy. So it's a grace gift uh, given to us by God to build up the body of Christ. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it may give grace to those who hear. So how do you get grace? God gives grace, God gives grace, God gives grace to the humble. You know what the definition of humility is in the Bible? I need you. So it begins with, I need God. It continues with, I need you. God gives grace. You know what would be cool? I mean, I love, I would like it if it worked this way. I could say, God, would you grant me your power and your strength and your wisdom? And I'd just like to get it right straight from you. So I can just sort of be independent of anybody and everybody. God said, I don't work that way. I've created you to be interdependent. You are a community, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is a, is a community. We're made like that in the image and likeness of God. I cannot function. I cannot function. I am incapable of functioning by myself without you. So part of being committed to the church is recognizing I need you. I can't function without you. God gives grace, but he gives it through people. And so if you isolate yourself because you're proud, you're busy, uh, you don't think you... I hear people say this all the time. I don't need the church. So that's what you think, but you are stupid. You can't function without the church. Cut your hand off and lay it on the floor. What does it do? Nothing. Zero. Apart from the church, you are dead spiritually. Apart from the church, zero grace will come into your life. You'll have power to do nothing. Uh, so God gives grace to the humble. A humble person says, I need you. A proud person says, I can do it by myself. Thank you very much. You know, eight kids we raised, they all said the same things growing up. First word out of their mouth that they all learned was, mine. Man, you'd think one of those kids would take after me, wouldn't you? Where'd they get that word? You know another one? Started helping them tie their shoes. Dad, I can do it by myself. Well, you kind of want them to do certain things by themselves, but that attitude, that pride, God is opposed to the proud. That doesn't mean I'm cool. That means I don't need you. I can do it by myself. That's the biblical de definition of pride. See, God gives grace to the humble. That is, I need God. I will come to him, ask him for strength, and then he gives what we need to us. But if you're going to be on a desert island, you're out of luck. God isn't going to give you anything. You need to connect with people. You connect with people. So that's why I say over and over and over again, your commitment to Christ is no greater than your commitment to his body. 
If you're independent, self-sufficient, lackadaisical, lukewarm, and in every area regarding to your church family, you're going to do nothing. You're going to do nothing. You can't accomplish anything independent, self-sufficient, without connected to your church family. It's not possible. No matter how many times you say in a day, I don't need the church. God's in charge. He makes the rules. And you can't function without your church. And the more committed you are to it, the more power you will have. The more committed you are to it, the more grace you receive. And so it's a mutual thing. I give grace, I receive grace. And so with each other, with our giftedness and our abilities, we give and receive grace. And together we build and we grow to become like Christ in uh, character. <clears throat> Romans 12, 5 through 6. So we who are many are one body in Christ. Individually, members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace, we have diff uh, gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, and then there's a bunch more, and I won't go get into that. Romans 5, uh, 15. And I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given to me. Paul's teaching and he's preaching because of the grace given to him from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.10. So notice the connection here between grace and doing. According to the grace of God which was given to me, Grace is always given by God to me, to you, to Paul. Like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. What is Paul saying there? I planted the church at Corinth, First Baptist Church. That's a joke. You're supposed to laugh. I laid a foundation. I planted the church. He's writing to the church at Corinth. I planted the church. Another's building on it. He left Apollos behind to be the pastor. So, why was he able to plant the church? Grace of God. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. I planted the church at Corinth. Another is building on it. Let each man be careful how he builds on it in the church. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace, all grace. That's a lot of grace. All grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. So does that sound like do what you want? Sleep in, watch television, play computer games? It doesn't matter. I'm going to heaven. I'm saved by grace. If you read every verse on grace, you'll find this incredible emphasis on do something that matters with your life. God is able to make all grace all grace abound, 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 so that having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You know, there's so many individuals who do nothing with their life that matters because they don't know how, they don't think they can, they're afraid to fail. But Paul says, oh man, you've got all grace, all sufficiency for every good deed. Go to the throne room of grace, ask for power, ask for direction, ask for instruction, ask for resources. And... Uh, Use your life to glorify Him. Number seven, God's grace is a pump primer. When I was a kid, we had a hand pump. 
and uh, it had a leather gasket in it. And so what you had to do is pour about a pint of water down the well, and it would go down around the leather gasket because it would dry out a little bit, and it would kind of seal it off. And so once you poured the pint of water in there, and then you pump, boom, water came out. But if you didn't pour the water in there, you could pump till you're blue in the face. And the other thing is you poured the pint of water in there, and then your cell phone went off. Uh, back when I was a kid, we didn't have cell phones, but if, if pretend we did. Cell phone went off. Oh, yeah. And you talked on the phone for five minutes. The prime was no good. You had to do it again. So Dad called that priming in vain. You primed it, but you waited too long. Nothing happened. So what God does, he's not in the business of having us just goof off, do nothing, and do everything for us. He's just going to give us just enough. If we respond to that grace in obedience, then we get more. And we get more, and we get more. But we respond to the grace given to us, and then he's always just a little bit ahead of us with the grace that we need, the power we need, the strength we need, the resources, the wisdom that we need in order to serve him and to serve him well. Romans 1, 18 through 19, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. We looked at this last week. And so talking about those that are not believers, because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. God made it evident to them. What's that? That's grace. God put it in them the awareness that there is a God. Then they respond to that correctly, then there's more, and there's more, and there's more. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain. See, some people get grace, nothing happens. There's no guarantee. His grace toward me did not prove vain. I am what I am by the grace of God. I labored even more than all of them. Ha. What do you mean? You don't do what anything. You get God's grace. Does God's grace mean you don't work hard, don't study, don't work? No. I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. So it's a very real sense. It's a partnership between us and God, working with God. In fact, um, 2 Corinthians 6, 1 says, working together with Him. Working together with Him. We urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. I was shoveling gravel with my dad one time, big, big pile of gravel, and he says, are we partners? He didn't very often say that because he's usually one of the bosses me around. I says, yeah, yeah, we're partners. He says, do you know what that means? I said, does that mean I get some of the money from the dairy? He says, no, it means you shovel as much gravel as I do. Evidently, he didn't think I was keeping up. I said, okay, and started shoveling faster. We partners, you shovel as much as I do, working together with him. So God's grace is not a do-nothing word. God's grace is a keep-up-with-God kind of word. He gives grace. Don't receive it in vain, doing nothing with it worked together with him. Paul said, I labored more than all of them. There's not an apostle around that put in more time, more work than I did. Yet not I, but the grace of God in me. <clears throat> For this purpose, I labor. 
striving according to His power which mightily works within me. And it's a mystery how that all works together, but the fact is I work hard, God works hard. God works hard, I work hard. God gives grace, God gives power, God gives open doors, God gives opportunities, I do something. And when we do, then God gives more. And so always have everything that we need. We'll have all sufficiency for everything through the grace of God. If we truly understand God's grace and know how to appropriate God's grace, we can say along with the Apostle Paul, I work like a dog. That's Duke translation. Yet not I, but God's grace in me. So you know how to appropriate God's grace. You can say with the Apostle Paul, I work like a dog. But it really wasn't that hard because God's grace was granting me the power and the strength and the resources and everything I needed. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I am what I am. Sounds like Popeye. His grace toward me did not prove vain. That'd be so cool if we could get to the end of our life and say that. I am what I am by the grace of God. His grace did not prove vain. What time is this class over? Huh? 11.15. Okay. I was thinking almost 11. I got to quit, but 11.15. I labored even more than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God with me. Number nine, a major problem many have in figuring out works and grace is that they use the wrong definition of works. Okay. Right here. Who's my microphone man? Where's Jack? Did he skip out on me? I'm going to be my microphone, man. He's got to stay in here and listen to me. <laughs> we'll do. I'm going to shift gears right here, so this would be a good place for some questions. If I got my microphone, man. There he is. Anybody have a question? Just on grace, we're going to shift to works here. Um, no questions. Never mind, Jack. Go back to sleep. <laughs> is this when I'm supposed to sing? Yeah, you're saying right here. Okay. That would be like an ultimate proof of the grace of God. <laughs> Number nine, a major problem we have in, is figuring out, in figuring out works and grace is that we use the wrong definition of works. And um, I hear this so many times. There's this, this uh, confusion in this area. The word that Paul took issue with in regards to grace was the works of the law. Works of the law. So we use the word works. Are we talking about uh, teaching Sunday school class? Are we talking about uh, obeying the laws written in the book of Leviticus? So when you see the collision in the New Testament between works and grace, it's not works. It's works of the law. Uh, That was the big issue. And because of the fact that when the day of Pentecost came, Peter stood up and preached. 3,000 people got saved. Every one of them were Jews. Pentecost was a Jewish holiday. And so there was a transition that took place between uh, Jewish believers and Gentile believers. Now, the Jewish believers said, if you're going to become a believer, you've got to start doing what the Jews do. You've got to follow the Old Testament law. Big conflict. Many of the Gentiles weren't circumcised. Many of the Gentiles... They didn't do anything in the Old Testament, so the Jewish believers said, yeah, you've got to start doing everything that's in the Old Testament. Uh, and it became a huge conflict, and so that's where Paul got involved in this whole thing. Where then is boasting? 
It is excluded by what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Works of the law. So many individuals read that works of the law and they simply see the word works. Oh, I don't have to teach Sunday school. I don't have to give. I don't have to be kind to my neighbor. No works required. That's works of the law. That's in the book of Leviticus, book of Deuteronomy. <clears throat> Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. Works of the law. That's not works. That's works of the law. So that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. A lot of people today think you have to worship on Saturday. That's a Jewish law. I'm across English, Welsh, a little bit of German. I'm a Gentile through and through. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. This is the verse that some like. They don't read beyond verse 1. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. What was the yoke of slavery? Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Old Testament law. I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Everything written in the book of Leviticus. If you're going to follow one, you've got to do them all. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. Not a good idea to jump back into the Old Testament. That's a pretty significant warning. Those Jews who believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah and, be and became followers of him believed that when a Gentile trusted Jesus, they needed to do the works of the laws of Moses to be truly saved. And so you read the book of Galatians, that's the theme of the whole book. It's the theme of the whole book, dealing with that topic. They sent this letter by them. Now they got together, all the apostles and leaders, and they said, is this, I mean, we've got to figure this thing out. It's causing all kinds of problems. So they came to the conclusion, no, no, Gentiles don't need to do it. And so they came up with a short list. They sent this letter by them, the apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles. Greetings. This is an official sort of declaration. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words, that is Jews who are saying you have to follow the law, unsettling your souls, it seemed good to us having become of one mind to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. You abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. That's it. That's it. Now, that's not saying that we need to do that today. Paul had not written most of his letters to the churches with his principles in them. But as far as going back to the Old Testament, here's a kind of a short list. Fornication, that is sexual immorality. That was a biggie. Uh, things sacrificed to idols, that was demonic worship. You don't want to do that. Blood, same kind of a deal. Things strangled, that was all part of that same uh, demonic kind of ceremonies that went place. Don't get involved in demons. And be sexually pure. 
That's it. Wow. You know how many laws there are in the book of Leviticus? Like a bazillion. I think it's 600 and some, but whatever, there's a lot. Now, we'll, we'll shake it down to four. <clears throat> if you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. I mean, was that good news? That sure made things e easier, didn't it? Number 12, we also are often confused with the use of the word law. So when you see the word works, ask yourself the question, is this works of the law or is this good works? A big difference. The common or basic definition of the word law to us today as part of the church is a rule or principle of God. So Romans says, love one another. We can use the word law. I don't use that word because it confuses people. I use the word rule or principle. This is something that Paul says we need to do between each other. Forgive each other as Christ has forgiven you. Uh, don't let any root of bitterness take hold in your life. There's a whole list of things in the New Testament. You know there's like 300 different rules in the New Testament? Uh, so we're not absent of law, uh, but we need to use the term correctly. Husbands, love your wives. Is that a good suggestion? That's a rule. That's a command. Do it. That's the hardest command in the Bible. Uh, the only one that uh, one comes close is husbands live with your wife in an understanding way. That's almost as hard. <laughs> the technical definition is that collection of laws written by Moses explicitly for the nation of Israel under the Old Covenant, the law. When we use the term the law, that's Old Testament written by Moses to the nation of Israel. Not written to me. All I have to do all out of that is don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. So works of the law, that's what you find in the Old Testament law written to the nation of Israel. The law is not the standard for living for the church today. We are not under the law. We're not under any of it. So sometimes people will say, uh, we need to follow the Ten Commandments. Well, it depends what you're talking about. The Ten Commandments listed in the book of uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy? No. We're not under that. The Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament uh, in one form or another. So in that sense, we are. But we're not under the law. None of it. Uh, that's written to the nation of Israel. For when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. So we no longer are under the Levitical priesthood. Jesus is now our high priest. Change of law. For on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. Setting aside. I'm not under that anymore. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. We draw near to God John 1.17, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were given, realized through Jesus Christ. So the law, technical term, Old Testament written to Israel, given by Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. 16, I personally use the words rule or principle instead of the word law in my teaching so as not to confuse people. So you won't hear me say the word law, though you can use it in a non-technical sense. 
to apply to those things that are given to us in the New Testament. But because it's a problem, I don't use the word at all, and now I'm talking about speeding down I-5. <clears throat> okay, here's a principle, important one. As the New Testament church, the rules for living for God are primarily in Romans through Jude and Revelations 1 through 3. The rules for living, primarily Romans through Jude, the book begins to the church at Rome, to the church at Corinth, to the church at Ephesus. Revelations 2 and 3, to the church at Ephesus, to the church of Sardis. It's written to the New Testament church. Those are primary applications. And so people sometimes, oh, what do you mean? We don't read the rest of the Bible? Oh, sure we do. But we get application from it. And what we get from that primarily is, who is God? Well, I'll just give you that in the notes. So the rest of the Bible is the supernatural inspired word of God. It is important for us to read and understand. I read Genesis, I read Exodus, I read Leviticus, though I speed read Leviticus. <laughs> uh, you can read it slow if you like. <clears throat> all of the Bible is the inspired and errant Word of God, and I read it all. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. From the whole Bible, we grow in our understanding of who God is, His attributes, His power, His divine nature. But I want to find instruction about how to love my wife. That's going to be primarily in that which is written specifically to me. Some people say, Leviticus is so confusing. Why should I read it? Because we don't do any of those sacrifices. There's so much in the book of Leviticus about God's character. You ask the question, why did he write this? Why? What's the deal with him and people? What is there in there that tells us about God and his attributes and his nature and his power? There's a ton of stuff in there. We gain understanding of the plan of God for the ages by reading the history and the prophecy recorded in the Bible. So you start out with Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created Adam, and he created Eve, and they sinned, and what did God do, and what did he prophesy? And you go through, and you hear, you read about what was happening and what will happen, and you understand the whole plan of the ages from God's perspective. What's going on? Why is it happening? Where are we going? You gain wisdom uh, by reading the Bible. We grow in wisdom from the stories of people in the Bible who have been successes and failures in living for God. But the rules, the rules, the principles that are most applicable to us, how to live life every day successfully, primarily Romans through Jude. So my Bible reading plan, I read Genesis through Malachi once a year, two chapters a day. I read Psalms five chapters a day. There's 150 chapters. I read Psalms every month. I read one chapter a day in Proverbs. There's 31 chapters, so I get it every month. I read Romans through Jude, four chapters a day, and there's 120 chapters in Romans through Jude, so I read through Romans through Jude every month. 
I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Revelation. Two chapters a day, so I read that through uh, every three, uh, three times a year, every four months. So, um, Romans through Jude, the rules for living life for the church, the bride of Christ, most applicable to me. I read the whole Old Testament every year. I read Psalms every month, Proverbs every month, the Book of Wisdom, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Revelation, <clears throat> the history of what Jesus did. I read it three times a year, but I focus on that which is most applicable to me in living life. Works for us, the followers of Jesus, is not just obeying the rules and principles, it's bearing fruit. How do I do something with my life that matters, that makes a difference in your life? You want to know how to do that? Read Romans through Jude. Big deal in that, those books is how to bless you, how to make a difference in my church, how to influence people uh, so that that lasts forever and ever and ever. It's called fruit that we bear for Jesus. That's the big deal uh, in the New Testament, not simply being good. I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. The Father prunes me if I bear a little fruit, so I'll bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. That means we're believers, we're headed for heaven. This is not works to get there. This is works as a servant of Jesus. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. That's humility. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. So we started out with fruit, we moved to more fruit, now we're at much fruit. Much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, is thrown away as a branch, dries up. They gather them and cast them into the fire, they're burned. You know, it's fun to have about eight people around a table and read that verse and say, what do you think that means? Gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. I don't know. Me neither. So let's just answer this question. Do you think it's good or bad? <laughs> I got that one down. You do too. Not a good thing. Who gets gathered up, thrown into the fire? Those who bear no fruit. I don't think it's talking about hell. Okay, I think it simply means that we're going to be put on the bench, do nothing. We're going to be able to do nothing. God gives grace. That means you're able to do something that matters with your life. You receive his grace in vain. It's going to be, after a bit of time, you're going to be put on the bench. Uh, you're just going to be a wart. You know what a wart is, don't you? You're part of the body, but all you do is look ugly. <laughs> if you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. Jesus' disciples bear much fruit. Fruit is something I do that makes a difference in your life. Fruit is something you do that makes a difference in my life. We influence people, our neighbors, people we work with. We're always thinking because God gives grace. He gives grace. Grace is his power to do something that matters. And many people receive it in vain. That is, they can't say with the Apostle Paul, I worked harder than anybody, yet not I but the grace of God in me. So the, the thing we're afraid of is that 
Ah, oh, I can't do it. You can. God's grace. You'll have all sufficiency for every good deed. I can't do it. I won't have the energy. God's grace gives you the energy. I won't have the time. God's grace gives you everything that you need to do what he's assigned you to do. So you don't receive his grace in vain. You do something with your life that matters because God's grace. He's given us some respond. He'll give you more and more and more. And you will bear much fruit for his glory and for his honor. Fruit are those things that we do that benefits, blesses, and influences others to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The results are eternal. Eternal. 